Welcome to the 24th episode of the Tech Gypsies podcast. I'm Audrey Waters. And I'm Ken Lane. And we are just barely managing to squeeze in recording this podcast on Sunday evening. Having just landed back at LAX, um, we're back home from New York. Yes, I'm, uh, I feel pretty good. Um, coming west is always easier. The, uh, I would agree. I've, um, I always get, more je- I get much more jet lagged flying east. That being said, um, I hope I'm not too groggy because I'm um, super, um, ah, super angry, super angry about the things that we're going to be talking about this week. You, but first, let's you? talk about, I know me, I know, shocking, right? But first, um, I kind of want to briefly have a little bit of a nod to the keynote that I gave on Thursday. Was it Thursday? I mean, was it Sunday? Yeah, Thursday. I did a talk. Yeah. Where, where, on, where, where what? School was it? Um, it was the conference was the design designs on e learning conference, which was held at the New School, um, and it's a conference of mostly I would say art and des- like mostly art and design schools, and how technology technology um, with art and design education. Oh, okay, so what was it about? Uh, my talk was about pigeons. Wow, interesting. <laughs> I thought so. Um, I managed to stand up in front of a group of people and, and speak for an hour on pigeons. I learned a lot. Um, as you know, as probably some listeners know, every time I do a talk, I write a brand new talk. I find it a little weird that some speakers get away with doing the same shtick every time they talk. Um, particularly if they already have a TED Talk, right, with millions of views, that they would have the audacity to take a paycheck to stand up in front of a bunch of people and perform that same thing. I mean, this isn't, you know, it's not like you're going to see Hamlet. So I try to write a new talk every time. I learned a bunch about the history of pigeons, particularly the history of pigeons in uh, warfare uh, for this talk, but I was trying to make an argument drawing on Donna Haraway's figure of the cyborg, some of her work on companion species, and then arguing that pigeons are a really, I think, interesting figure, like the cyborg, for us to talk about and think about the ways in which technology and training, um, education technology, but particularly training, behavioral training, um, operates in the history of science, the history of war, and sadly, the history of education. Yeah, I um I'm super fascinated by this area. Just watching you, I you know, honestly I knew nothing about the creature um until you started talking about it and it's uh super fascinating. If nothing else, go look at her talk and look at the pictures. Holy shit. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's what's very I it's I mean, it's really fascinating. It was I purposefully gave this talk in New York, right? Um the the hatred that Western society, North America, Europe, Western Europe have for pigeons is very, very recent. I mean, it's only been within the last hundred years that we've actually recognized that, or not recognized, that we've actually seen doves and pigeons as separate and different animals. They're the same animal, right? They're the same species. But, and doves we still see as being a symbol of peace, and pigeons are 
literally like seen as the, as a symbol of disease and shit. Um, and it's, you know, and it's, uh, and, and sort of associated with the worst aspects perhaps of, of urbanization and modernization. And yet p- pigeons have evolved, have co-evolved with us. Um, and we domesticated them thousands of years ago. And so it's a really interesting, I mean, I think that the pigeon is just a really interesting figure to think with. That was sort of the hook of my talk um, as, as a pigeon, as a figure to think with. And just thinking about the role it's played in science, the role it's played in psychology and educational psychology, behavior, behaviorism, training, and what that means for ed tech. Um, yeah, I'm super proud of this talk. Yeah, it's uh, just the, the training and technology portion of it is is super fascinating. I mean, aside from the, the domestication and all that, just like how they've been used for communication. I mean, there's the one, the picture with them, he's wearing, wearing the camera, you know, surveillance, like messaging, like this is the OG internet. I mean, we're talking here and, you know, the, the organic version of it, This it's fascinating and how the, the training and then the technology work together. And then how we've just kind of, you know, discarded it as well, as far as the technology, not just the te- using it for the technology, but also the creatures themselves. Well, and ex- precisely. I mean, I think that that was the, what that was. You know, as I was learning about all of these birds, and there were other animals. I should I didn't mention that in my talk. There were or lots of other animals who received medals for valor during World Wars One and Two, um, but a lot of pigeons received medals, and. Um, but thinking about the recognition that went that goes into those pigeons, those pigeons, um, we know their names, which is, uh, I think, a significant way to honor someone is to name it, right? To name it, to speak of it, to say their name, to remember them. Um, there's some of the, th- these birds; their bodies have been stuffed and preserved at the Smithsonian. Um, but then there's all of these other animals, the lab rats, the experimental animals, the animals whose, whose projects um, didn't quite work out or who seemed successful but never, never really truly got <laughs> weaponized, to use that word, um, who were sort of, who were nameless. And again, thinking about what this means for technology, what this means for education, and the sort of way in which we do not see students in particular as being subjects. We see them as these objects of experimentation um, that we really do not recognize their identity or their agency, and that we just think that they are animals to be trained. Uh, and give the B.F. Skinner real low down again, just, just to follow up. Well, I mean, you know, Skinner uh, Skinner is probably the most important educational psychologist um, of the of the 20th century. Um, I would say in educational psychology far more influential than Freud, who's probably the best known psychologist, right? But but Skinner really believed um, Skinner believed in behaviorism or that was his theory. He believed that all um, that learning was a, was about behavior. That all all elements of of humans' actions were could be reduced to to behaviors, and in such a way could be um, controlled under through you know through this process of operant conditioning. Is when you give when you give someone when you reward somebody for the correct behavior. He thought that learning was just a matter of rewarding 
pigeons and students for correct behavior. And um, I think that this notion of operant conditioning is, has, it, it was really sort of rejected and reviled um, by psychology. Education psychology doesn't really um, have a lot of, it doesn't really talk much about behaviorism today. Um, primarily it's been replaced, but with sort of a turn to sort of more cognitive science, if you will. Um, but I think no, that behaviorism... Nobody would do it then again, right? I mean, no, well, it's that's a bad idea, is, right? Well, the, I mean, I think that technology, um, our computer technologies have sort of un... I don't know, like sort of unexamined adoption of behaviorism. And I see a lot of operant conditioning in the tools and the technologies that we utilize. Yeah, it's uh I mean I'm just fascinated what a uh, fascinated what a uh, kind of sinkhole or rabbit hole it is every time you I mean I mean pigeons are like part of an underlying current in what you do as hack education so you're always kind of immersed there but um just how deep of a hole it is as far as how pigeons have been used and then I mean we just got back from New York and I mean we, I was sitting in a park where there's a sign I took a picture that says don't don't feed them you know, and they're, you know, they're everywhere in New York. So it's like still front and center. But um, like you said, they're, they're, they're very much seen as rats. Well, rats with wings, right. We actually hung out a little bit on um, Saturday in Bryant Park, which was sort of this, the place in, in New York in the 1960s that really sort of crystallized this most recent turn against the pigeon was that um, the parks commissioner, um, had an op-ed in the New York Times that 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 Bryant Park was falling into disorder. He blamed a number of factors: vandals, trash, the homeless, homosexuals, and pigeons. And so there's been a real concerted effort, not just in New York City, but in other places in which the pigeon is sort of almost. You know, the pigeon is sort of a, a citizen of the of the city, right? This the, it's a you know we, it's a pedestrian, like we say pedestrian, in that sort of dual meaning of the word. It walks around the city with us, but also it's completely banal. Um, but there have been lots of of moves in the last you know fifty years to banish the pigeon from this from this environment that we've actually constructed that perfectly fits perfectly fits the habitat of the pigeon. It's per we've created cities, and cities are perfectly designed for pigeons to live in. Well, we're perfectly willing to just forget um, or just not, you know, want to learn about how we, we kind of did, we've been doing this for, for, for a long time. And, and then all of a sudden when, you know, technology moves forward, we just kind of discard it. And because it's like animals that we've done this to, you know, that, I mean, it kind of sounds a lot like, you know, like, I don't know what, what other animals that we've done this to that, um, I guess horses wouldn't fit into that, but just, I mean, just like how we've used animals in war. Dogs. Dogs. Okay. Dogs are a good one. Um, I mean, I guess. I think we love dog. I think, I think, you know, in Western culture, we love dogs in a, um, in Western European culture, I should say, we, we, we see dog, dogs as being companions. But for many people, there are many people in, this, in cities who, for whom their pigeons are companions. People who sit, you know, the elderly who sit um, and call the pigeons to them and feed the pigeons daily. People who still raise pigeons, they're primarily, it's still something that's primarily associated with immigrant men. 
Um, but people, people do have pigeons as their companions. But I think dogs are who we see we've done this most closely with. Well, and I would put the technology part of dogs being in the genetic and like breeding, you know, kind of that that side of things rather than strapping things to them and using them for messages and cameras and stuff like that. But a lot of dogs won medals in World War One and Two. Yeah, and we use them for you know bomb bomb sniffing. We use them for cops. We sure drug, do. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of uses for them in that way. But they still have that u- u- utility. We haven't like discarded them and they're still companions so but we still i mean we still if you think about the the ways in which most people train a dog right we don't talk about teaching a dog we talk about training a dog um you you train a dog and there it's it's very much the operant conditioning mode that that skinner promoted right so you feed the dog a trick if the dog shake shakes hands i think we we do still punish punish our animals but definitely but the praise the praise positive feedback giving treats are the ways in which we condition animals right that's the way in which we train animals and that is the way in which Skinner argued we should train children all of us really one more thing on pigeons and then we'll move on to some of these the other news but there was um there was, uh, right before I gave my talk, Popular Science posted a study that said that pigeons can read a little bit. Um, <laughs> really? Awesome. And I want to just call it out because it's the, it, I actually think it's, um, so the, the study says that um, birds can recognize, wor- distinguish some words from non-words and recognize misspelling according to this study. Um, and the, the, the sort of write-up in popular science is that they perform better than, than humans or something, or perform better than baboons. Um, but I want to make it clear that the, the pigeons are not reading, right? And the pigeons are recognizing patterns. The pigeons, pigeons are not, if you set, like if you set a poem in front of a pigeon, a pigeon who's been trained to recognize the misspellings or, or correct spelling or recognize words, the pigeon does not understand the poem, right? The pigeon doesn't understand about eating the plums in the icebox, right? The pigeon does not understand the red wheelbarrow. The pigeon does not understand the road less taken. The pigeon recognizes patterns. And that's actually really similar to the way in which robo essay graders do not read students essays they recognize patterns in students essays but we're using this language we're using this language of learning um, to describe things that are really different than human cognitive um, functionality and I think it's misleading and when it comes to AI right that robots can read right robots can read better than pigeons Robots can read better than human teachers. Um, that we have to be really careful because the the neither pigeons nor robots can read. They recognize patterns, and that's even that's very different than what uh, uh, like a, a a a young child learning to read is definitely recognizing patterns in the letters as well, but they actually have a, an understanding of what that word means. So when they recognize the word kitty, 
they know they have an understanding of kitty. They aren't just recognizing that, that the word kitty has two T's and N's and a Y. Well, and they're going to interpret emotion and, and all sorts of other contexts that... Right, that, of course. You know, yeah, cause, exactly. Because puppy in U- U.S. for a toddler or baby, and then the same in Pakistan or Afghanistan or, you know, so anywhere else in the world, it's like it's going to be very... And well, and a computer and a pigeon have no... They do not have that. And so, yeah, lots of people have been sharing this this pigeon story with me. Um, but it's, uh, I'm like, yeah, pigeons are super trainable, but you know who else seems to be super trainable and malleable humans. And I want us to resist that. (laughs) Yeah. Good stuff. So, um, which of these other tech, speaking of training, which of these other technology stories should we talk about first? I think let's go into the VR. Oh, we'll just dive right into the horror of the horror of virtual reality. So this week um, on Friday, on Saturday, um, there was a story in the Daily Beast that revealed that Palmer Lucky, who is, I believe he's 24, the 24-year-old co-founder of the Oculus Rift virtual reality headset, which of course was acquired by Facebook for $2 billion in 2014. Um, uh, the, the story broke that he has been funneling money to Trump's meme machine is the way that this was described. So he's been using his millions, his hundreds of millions, um, to, uh, to fund anti-Hillary memes online or what um, the Lowell babies call shit posting. So shit posting about Hillary Clinton. Yeah, what's with these tech dudes, I guess? I mean, Peter Thiel and, and I mean, this kind of, I mean, this is crazy. Like, just seriously, like, paying, investing in shit being spread on the internet about people. And Well, yeah. Go ahead. No, and just automating that is all all I was going to say. I mean, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, a good portion of this is bot done. I'm sure it's just, you know, you pay minions and they go out and do it. There's many ways that it can be be done. I, I'm not keeping up on all the latest techniques, but I mean, fuck, what, a, what an ass clown. Um, well, uh, what a damaging blow to democracy that the source, and we've talked about this before on this podcast, that the source where most people are getting their news, that would be Facebook, has among its executives a person who spends his millions on shitposting about Hillary Clinton, and on its board is Peter Thiel. So Facebook is going to be really well positioned under the Trump presidency to further this alt-right agenda for sure. But I'd like to talk, I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit more about the VR component, but I think it should be made very clear that Facebook is absolutely positioned perfectly to spread alt-right misinformation, meme campaigns to undermine Whoever, but it just so happens to be a woman. Weird, uh, um, uh, in the future. So I mean, and that's 
fucking frightening. So, I mean, bring, we'll weave this together for me. So, I mean, face, I know Facebook. Facebook's a shit show. And I know Facebook. Um, I mean, as a channel, for me, like, Facebook doesn't do a whole lot for my world. It keeps me in tune with, with family and with a few friends. But overall, like, my Facebook page is shit. And I don't use a lot of the other content mechanisms I'm trying to. But it's really, you know, it's really kind of a shit show. And the advertising and all of that you know, drives me nuts, but, so they, and I know they bought Oculus Rift, but, like, what is, like, what's the relationship there, are we going to be, is this, all this red and blue politics shit that's playing out on Facebook going to just, like, be ported and strapped to people's face? (laughs) Um, so, a a couple of, a a couple of things, um, I'm going to set aside the VR question for a sec, and talk about just the way in which, Facebook decides, I mean, remember, it was just a week or so ago, we were talking about Facebook firing its human editors and letting algorithms decide what were going to be the trending news topics. And within, you know, that day, the trending news topics were either incorrect or obscene, right? So so the folks who are generating, who are helping write the generate the algorithms on Facebook that decides what content we see and I'll, and we can connect this to VR but we can just connect this to plain old Facebook right now are certainly um are certainly not not uh not doing any kind of what you would say would be a journalistic duty to talk about facts to fact check to stop incorrect information, to stop harassment, to, um, you know, and Facebook insists it's not a media company. Facebook insists it's a technology company. But like I said, when the majority of Americans get their news from Facebook, Facebook is a media company. And so Facebook, um, I mean, more the, the internet more broadly, sure. Um, I think a lot of these memes, these, these memes about Hillary Clinton, these alt-right um, Pepe Green Frog memes do not or originate on Facebook, but Facebook is certainly one of the easiest ways to be able to spread these things. Facebook and Twitter. Yeah, and and I mean whether it's it's wall posts, whether it's the the, the little images, the the gifs, the stories, all the way up to the videos. The other thing they were doing, you know, talked about this week was they were uh, overestimating the the metrics for the videos. So, I mean, this is the thing about Facebook for me is like, I mean, Facebook is, is all in on the advertising game. I mean, so is Twitter, but and so is Google. But <laughs> so is the Internet. So is the yeah. Internet. I mean, this is, this is just, just how the Internet's being just just stupefied by advertising and, and that being the incentive model. And so basically Facebook, this, this meme engine um, that has given all of this money to this, this, this 24 year old kid and he's taking it and he's in giving it to Donald Trump and Facebook being one of the channels. I'm, I'm, you know, Instagram, Instagram, others, and, and then using it as a vehicle for, for furthering this just shit. To, to, to correct, he's, he's not actually donating to Trump. And I don't even know if Peter Thiel has made substantial donations to Trump. Uh, so what he's doing, what Palmer Lucky is doing is funding shitposting campaigns on Trump's behalf, 
perpetuating the white supremacist Gamergate message that the alt-right um, has found affinity with the sort of, um, well, with that sort of neo-right, alt-right, neo-Nazi bullshit that seems to have really latched on to Trump. So that's what Palmer Lucky is, is funding. He's not giving money to Trump. Uh, Trump isn't investing in, in green frog memes, but Palmer Lucky is. I see, I see. So, I mean, but, I mean, this is just the part that just really makes me sad, that this is where the Internet has gone. This is what we're using the Internet for, and that the whole asshole trollish dudes on the internet need investing in and and in you know that that propagate all of this it's just disturbing well so i want to follow up you you mentioned the facebook um uh fraud i mean i don't know how else to say it fraudulently inflating its numbers of um, the numbers that it said that its videos were receiving i mean i think again this ties back to journalism because a lot of newsrooms have re organize themselves in order to be able to turn out content that would be Facebookable, right? So the Facebookable with the rethinking what headlines look like, but in particular, you know, you think of like the Upworthy style headline, you know, you're not going to believe, like, you won't believe your, like, you won't believe your eyes kind of headlines of, of um, the BuzzFeed type content but then recently the video the video content um, and anyone who uses Facebook knows that like scrolling through your feedback through your Facebook feed is really video after video after video so a lot of newsrooms and a lot of brands but a lot of newsrooms have really rethought what they're doing because they were being told that this was this was actually what's driving traffic and um, this is actually what's getting eyeballs and it's not Facebook lied so that's troubling again, thinking about how do you you know how do you dismantle the fifth estate right yeah, yeah, I mean this is i mean there's several API layers that I pay attention to here you know when it comes to this is is one i you know I've talked about before the whole cybersecurity thing that you know this is how this is the propaganda engine that that has you know the internet has become and will will continue only continue to amplify as part of this whole cybersecurity bullshit that's going on that you know whether it's Trump Russia whether it's our government and you know so these these there's going to be big money in these machines but then the other side of it is when you have a publicly traded company that generates revenue off of advertising off of eyeballs and clicks and 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 this kind of activity that Palmer Lucky's investing in, but then also the the advertising, the videos, the eyeballs, and then you're 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 paying you know paying a certain amount and your 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 revenues based on this certain thing. I mean, basically these things are pretty should should all be public and they should all have APIs. I mean, to be able to open up and access and audit and um, make sure that these numbers, I mean, Facebook shouldn't have to come out after all this time and say, hey, our numbers are off. Someone within like a week or two um, should have been able to, through the advertising APIs, been able to go, hey, this isn't penciling out. If, you know, I don't know exactly what, what's available through the advertising API to have to take a look, I'll come back with that. But, um, be able to actually audit and go, hey, this is off. And that should be default. That should be in Twitter's API as far as their advertising network. It should be in Snapchats. It should be in Instagrams. Because these are all engines that are used in this way. And, um, well, and, you know, and as well as Facebook and Twitter, but um, they're publicly traded companies. So, um, briefly, 
briefly just asterisks at the end of this conversation, perhaps Twitter will be going away, right? There are whispers, and I think there have long been whispers, but they're definitely picking up this past week that Twitter is shopping around for a buyer. Yeah. I mean, I, so I hope maybe I hope we won't have maybe we quick. won't have Jack to kick around anymore. But but I do because we're almost we've almost talked for half an hour. But I want to talk about virtual reality because I think that it's really fucking serious that that virtual reality has been shown this week. Something that I would have could have said, Tex Cassandra, I could have told you that this was coming. People have been telling one another, people have been saying that virtual reality is going to be the new empathy machine. That is what you hear people say. You hear people say that with, thanks to virtual reality, that people will be able to go places they've never been before. They will be able to see things they've never seen before. They will be able to experience things they've never seen, be able to experience before. And they will be able to empathize and understand more deeply with others' experiences. And that's bullshit to start with um, because virtual reality as it stands seems to be no more, no less of an empathy machine than television or movies. And look how much that makes us empathize. Social social is going to make us better people too, right? So, so the, but the fact that this is, that this, New technology, new old technology, is being built by people who are intimately involved with Gamergate, right? Who are intimately involved with alt-right, who are wrapped up in promoting white supremacist memes, means that we have to stop and really think carefully about the kind of experiences that those folks are going to be building, Right. And so Palmer Lucky in an interview said that he didn't actually think that VR was going to be picked up really by people in Silicon Valley. He said because people in Silicon Valley, he argued, have great lives. He said that people who are going to want VR are people who are poor, people who live in China, people who live in Africa, because they don't actually get to experience good things. This is his argument. So... Um, and then I see, you know, I see people, there was an op-ed from a venture capitalist, a well-known venture capitalist in education this week saying people, people in rural schools need VR because they don't have good things. And both of those things are fucking elitist and wrong. But when you think about what someone like Palmer Lucky, a, a world, a virtual world for, to inhabit that would be built by someone like Palmer Lucky, who wants to fund shitposting means about Hillary Clinton. This isn't about building a utopian world in, in VR. This is about build this is about actually, I think ideally, having people forget social justice, have people forget real action, and have people just sort of um, I don't know, like not People be able to check out and forget what's going on, forget what's going on. And I don't mean that the poor, the poor are fucking not going to be able to forget what's going on. When you're, when you're struggling to make ends meet, your, your material re- existence is, is real. When you're being shot by cops, your lived experience is real. But I think that the, the virtual reality that these racist, sexist assholes are building is really fucking frightening. And 
I, I am not surprised that I have not seen people in ed tech stop and ask any questions about it this week with the revelations about Palmer Lucky. But you better believe that, like, we better start thinking really seriously about who's building these virtual worlds and who they plan on erasing inside the virtual world and who they plan on erasing in the material world. How many uh, VR ads did you see in the last week as we were on the plane, in the taxi, in the, in the hotel lobby uh, around New York and Times Square? Um, I saw quite a few. I saw quite a few. I think they were all Samsung. Um, so we know that the, those folks' um, headsets are going to burst into flames, so I'm not too... <laughs> well, um, I mean, it just sounds like to me, I mean, it's just now we want propaganda as a service and strap it to people's face. It wasn't enough that's on our devices in our pockets and and on our TVs now. We're, we're going to strap it to our face and let these people pipe in what they will and... and make make shit tons of money off of it well i mean as i have said many many times you know technology is ideological and it's not simply that palmer lucky has abhorrent political beliefs um it's not simply that peter Thiel has abhorrent political beliefs it's that there is ideology embedded in all of these technologies um and all of these systems and structures that they're trying to dismantle and then trying to build Um, and I think that we need to be much more vigilant, um, and much more, uh, much more critical of these technologies instead of just be super excited that there's a new shiny thing. And we need to, I think we need to really, really be, um, far more, um, skeptical and actually question quite deeply what the project of virtual reality again, led by gamer gators, is building us towards. Yeah, well, as I've learned in API space, um, nothing nice. Um, anything interesting, um, good technology that comes along quickly gets uh, swept up in the, these other currents and, and goes away. Yeah. All right. Well, that was uplifting. Yeah. Woo-hoo. We should We should talk about pigeons again. Just yeah, the pigeons was good. <laughs>